You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avtsan on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 High FM. This is Rabbi Levi Avtsan, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Shul, here live at the Farbringen Show, Tuesdays 1 to 2 in the afternoon. Hope you're well. Been off for a few weeks and it's good to be back. And as we are just a few days before the beginning of the month of Elul, it's customary at this time of the year to wish one another a happy and sweet year, a good year, a sweet year, and all the good things. And we can never wish such things enough. So let me begin the show by wishing all the listeners, all of us, that we should be blessed with a with a year of abundance, a year of gladness of heart, of positivity, of energy, of redemption, of growth, and all the good things that we ask for, brachot, blessings, and may they be in a revealed and visible fashion, not only in potential, but in reality, we should see it in our lives. Today, I want to really start the show by um, focusing on the idea of inner discovery, as we are entering a month of Elul of reflection, I think it's definitely an appropriate theme to go as at this time of the year. But again, I don't I don't like starting shows by talking. I like starting them with music. So let's start with a beautiful piece of music here on one hundred one point nine Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on one hundred one point nine Chai FM. One hundred one point nine Chai FM. You were just listening to the beautiful music of Mordechai Ben David singing with his father, David Werdeker, of blessed memory, was a Holocaust survivor. Actually, survived Auschwitz. I wrote a fascinating um, biography, autobiography about his story in the Holocaust and came out and became a world-known chazan, and his son became was probably the most famous um, Hasidic singer in the world, um, Mordechai ben David, and has pretty much come out of the, ulti- the greatest darkness and just brought the world so much light. Passed away, I believe, just under a year ago. So, let, so let's get into it. Recently, a thought has been percolating in my mind, and that is, I think we've overcomplicated life. In other words, life isn't as complicated as we make it to be. (laughs) I'm not saying about everything, most things. Um, I'm not sure if, I think we spoke about a few weeks ago about overcomplicating marriage, but that's not where I want to go today. Today I want to talk about overcomplicating what it means to become a successful person. Think of the word success. What's the first word that comes to your mind? Is it money? Career? Popularity? Fame? Power? What does the word success conjure up in your mind? What what do you think of? Chances are it's something very superficial. External. And I'm not saying you versus me. I'm saying I'm often this accused of the same thing. I accuse myself of when I hear the definition that person's a successful person, the first word that comes to my mind is how much money do they have in the bank account? How popular are they? How many people know of them? What role do they play in the community? What kind of macher are they? 
So now we're entering the month of Elul. We're entering the month of reflection in which the Jewish calendar dedicates one month every 12 months in which people are ought to focus inward and ask themselves, where am I in life? And have an honest din v'cheshbon, a judgment and a calculation where I am in this world and make good resolutions and then come into the new year, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, with good resolutions, with good perspectives and hopefully go build a great year going forward. So by definition, if you're estimating yourself this month and you're asking yourself, where am I, then you have to have a certain barometer by which you consider whether you were successful or you weren't successful. When a person's going to ask themselves, where am I in life? Have I made a life for myself or I haven't made a life for myself? Before that question comes the baseline, what is the definition of making a life for yourself? Have I hit the target? What is the target? Only once there's a consensus in the person's mind of what the target is, can they say, have I been close to the target? Have I not been close to the target? Have I uh, exceeded it, etc.? So what's the definition of a successful year? What is the parameter? What's the baseline? What can we all agree on is a successful year? Is it how many Facebook friends we got this year? Is it how many likes we got on our posts? Is it how many books we read? Is it how many relationships we enhanced? Is it how much money we added to our bank account? Is is it, I don't know, how many international trips we've taken? What is it? What What's the definition? And I think we overcomplicated it. We overcomplicated for ourselves what it means to be a successful person, and maybe for that reason so many of us walk feeling very negative about ourselves, feeling low, not feeling on top of the game, feeling like we... Either life shortchanged us or we shortchanged life. In other words, either it's life's fault or it's our fault, but in any case, we haven't hit the target. Shame. I, you know, I haven't built a multi-billion rand company yet and shame. I haven't become world famous and I'm not quoted in the newspapers and when I'm quoted, not necessarily so for good things. Not, I'm not, I'm not a success in life. That's a garnished waste of a life. And then what do we do? We run to the bookstore and we look for the self-help and we find, I don't know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad or Seven Habits of Successful People or The Art of the Deal. God knows whichever whichever genre you like. And you sit there reading it with gusto trying to see how am I going to make a success out of my life? Because success has one definition and that is power, money, fame all very external but seemingly very seductive titles that a person wants for themselves. And if I don't have it, then what kind of life is that? They they asked years ago, I remember they made a study, they asked the youth, what do they prefer, fame or money? And I think over 70% said they want fame. The funny thing is not necessarily in the answer, but in the question, because that's pretty much the two definitions of success, that... Most people think of fame or money. And if you could get both, you you could be a Hollywood celebrity or you could be a multi-billionaire that everyone talks about. Oh, you mamish made it in life. 
Now, based on that parameters, most of us should be walking around feeling like a failure. There's not that many of us that walk around with billions in our bank account, not that many of us that are massively successful, not that many of us that have hundreds of thousands of people that point at us and say, oh, that individual is a success. So because we don't have it, eh, well, what kind of year was that? Waste of a year. Waste of a life. It often boggles my mind because there's so many books that come out about success. And they obviously sell because otherwise people wouldn't publish books. Because book, book authoring on the most part, besides a few, you know, loyalists who write books even though they're not going to sell it, ultimately it's an economic investment. So you write a book that you think is going to sell. You don't write a book that's going to sit in just one library and in 200 years time people will discover you. You hope you write something that's success. And everyone's writing these books of success, 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 and everyone's running and buying them. And pretty much there's one definition of a, of a book that encourages success, and that is money, fame, power. The same, you know, that dangerous triangle, the trilogy of shallow, silly definitions of success that that drive us all to sit there chasing how do i become a zuckerberg and how do i become a steve jobs and how do i become a you know a a big politician etc 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 how do i how do i how do i in other words success is something out there it's not in here success is an objective standard rather than a subjective standard and what I want to argue on, I don't think it's an original argument, but I think it's always worthy of repetition and, and discussion is success is very much a subjective journey. Each and every one of us finds success in our own lives based on our circumstances, based on our weaknesses and strengths. It's not an objective standard. That's number one. And number two, Success is much more in, about internal character than it is external prestige and bank accounts. And those two ideas, if we just change success from objective to subjective and from external to internal, we truly transform the narrative. Now I want to play a song. Um, this is a beautiful song, one of my favorite songs. Um, growing up, it's from a, a boys' choir called Miami Boys' Choir. And the song is based on the words of Tehillim that King David says that youth are like an arrow in the hand of a person who's, you know, shooting bow and arrow in the hands of a strong individual. And therefore, youth have to be so guided. And that idea of making sure we have correct guidance is a, a theme that, not necessarily for this month, for every day, I think it's a beautiful song here on 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avzan, and we are today talking about how maybe we've overcomplicated the definition of success. We've made it unattainable, and we've made it too objective, an objective standard that most of us will never hit. And more importantly, we created an external definition, that means fame, money, etc., versus an internal definition of success. One of the great books of all time in the Jewish um, liturgy is the Tanya. Tanya was a book authored by Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi, 
just over 200 years ago, 220 years ago. And there are an extremely, a, a tremendous amount of profound ideas, but one of the most basic ideas that the Tanya came to introduce and which personally has deeply resonated is that idea that success does not mean that the journey ever ends in a person's life. Success means that we're in the struggle and we do the best we can within the struggle. In other words, there is no top of the mountain in this world unless a person's a tzaddik or a holy righteous person, and that's a total exception to the rule. But as a rule, and that is pretty much, I'd imagine, uh, most of the people, if not all of us uh, listening, and uh, definitely myself, um, the definition of success is just battling it through. In other words... Each and every one of us has our own battles. And those battles are determined by our nature and by our nurture and by our current circumstances and by the choices we made in life, the good ones, the bad ones, etc. Our life and who we are right now is a whole conglomerate of lots and lots of input and lots of variables. And together they create the reality that I'm living in the cre- and the different reality in which you live in. And each and every one of us within the reality that we've created and that we've been put in now has struggles. So what for me might be a struggle for you is a walk in the park. And for what you might be a struggle for me, it's no struggle. So, for example, if somebody is, uh, you know, an alcoholic and for them, they, when they're surrounded with alcohol, it's a seductive, addictive uh, drug, which unfortunately can destroy their life. For the other person who doesn't have a weakness for alcohol, they could be surrounded in a room full of alcohol bottles, and they might, you know, enjoy the look of it, but ultimately, it's not a threat to their sanity, it's not a threat to their stability, because simply they don't have a pull in that direction. But they, on the other hand, might have a pull to their phone, or they might have a pull to be callous and shallow, whatever it is, each and every one of us with our natural and nurtural struggles lives in our own world. And I'm not saying it in a negative way. You know, usually when you say people live in their own world, that's a condescending uh, way of saying the person's a narcissist. But I'm saying we live in our own world of struggles. And that's our reality. And God judges us and we should judge ourselves very much based on the reality in which we live in. So if you're married and you have a certain kind of marriage, then then you, you have to look at yourself and say, how's my marriage? If a person's not married, then their struggles is very different. If you have one kind of child, then it makes your struggle one style. But if your child is a different style, so for example, if you have a very passive child, then it's one set of struggles you can have with them. If you have an ADHD kind of child jumping up the walls, it's a very different set of struggles. And what boggles the mind is how often we try to objectify, we make ob- uh, objective standards of what internal success is, but it's not like that. There is no one-size-fit-all. Even within Judaism, each and every one of us has, in the words of the Talmud, the Zahirt Fei, the mitzvah that resonates with us more. Some of us are more passionate about one kind of law. So you'll see one person that's all excited about Pesach, and the other person's all excited about Torah study, and the other person's all excited about, within Torah study, this person r- resonates more with pragmatic, halacha, the other person resonates with logic, gemara, the other person resonates with, with mysticism, kabbalah, hasidut, etc. And within that, a million different nuances and flavors within the religion itself, and then outside the religion, different kinds of chesed, 
I'm not actually within the religion, sorry. This person resonates with giving charity and cash. The other person resonates by cooking food for somebody else. The other person resonates by visiting shiva houses, by going to visit sick people, by working in the Hever Kaddish, by burying people, whatever it is. That is the color and the kaleidoscope that makes the world beautiful. The subjective journey that each and every one of us has towards achieving our potential. Success is personal. It's asking ourselves not what does the world tell me to become, but what does my moral inner compass tell me I have to be? Why did God put me into this world? And at the risk of uh, sounding controversial, I don't think God intended a world of 7 billion CEOs or 7 billion people tzaddikim. If he wanted it, he would have created it. God's a kol yachal in the words of the, the, our sages. He could have done whatever he wanted. He could have created that perfect world. And if he wanted everyone to sit in yeshiva the whole life, he would have created a world like that. Each and every one of us is on our journey. And obviously our journey is up the mountain. But where that, how we get up the mountain and where that level is, because the, the peak that we, none of us achieve, but where our level we're supposed to hit is, 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 is very personal. It's very personal. We will not end up the same. And and why so often do we hear teachers and mentors guiding people to this objective standard of success and then it causes an unbelievable amount of anxiety and inner pressure in the person because a circle can never fit a box. You can't. You can't put around, you know, around peg. Around screw in a square peg. I already forgot the idiom. Instead of asking what does Hashem want as a generic question, ask what does He want from me? I remember um, watching a, a, a video where they asked the former chief Rabbi Sachs, they asked him, if you were able to ask God one question, what would it be? And, you know, usually there's the cliche, why is there so much suffering? Um, when's Mashiach going to come? And he had a very interesting answer, which stuck with me. And that is, he said, I would ask God, what do you want from me? What, what do you, why did you put me here? What, what do you want me to play? What role do you want me to play? All too often, we look to other people to decide what the standard is. No, it's internal. Hashem, what do you want from me? What was my past year supposed to look like? The past 12 months, the past 11 months since Rosh Hashanah, Hashem, what did you want them to look like by me? You didn't think I would become the world's biggest sage in in 11 months, no. You didn't think I would become a tzaddik, no. You didn't think I would become a multi-billionaire, no. What did you want me to do? And God, for the next 12 months, what do you want from me now? And to say that there's an objective answer, I think, is being unfair to the human condition. And I think it's false. We're all different. I happen to be blessed to be a rabbi in a shul with hundreds of members. And each individual in their own life, in their marriage life, in their, in their family life, in their religious life, in their financial life, are in very different personal stages. And each one of them has their own unique journey. There's no way to stand up there. That's what is so hard um, at 
personally as a rabbi to stand up on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and give a sermon to hundreds of people and try to resonate for every single person, but ultimately each and every one of them. On this day, they all come to Shul because they want to grow in some way, but they're each on a very different headspace. And the growth is very personal. And to sit there creating one objective standard of growth and saying, everybody, this is the year we're going to do this. Or sheken, or shalom. Either yes or no. That person might not be ready for it. So the rabbi could stand up and sit there screaming and saying, you know, this is the year we're all going to keep Shabbos every day of the week. Every day of the week. <laughs> once, once a week. Nice. It might resonate with 2%. Some, some people might be ready for it. Other people aren't. And you cannot rush it. Just like you cannot rush maturity onto people. And I'm sure you've tried it. <laughs> you know, when your child is acting immature or a spouse or a sibling or a friend, and you try to convince them that they have to grow up, but ultimately they are not organically ready for their next step into maturity. And no matter how many times you'll hit the head against the wall, you cannot force maturity onto somebody. You can't enforce an idea onto somebody. Even if you're a dictator, the second you take the dictator away, people start thinking for themselves. And that's why dictators never allow people to think for themselves because they perpetually want to own people's minds. But even in North Korea, how many movies are coming in from South Korea and from China where people are still interested in seeing the Western world? So they, on USB discs, I remember watching a documentary that they sit there sneaking it into North Korea because people want to broaden their mind and see what the world is out, is like there. Every one of us is on our own personal journey. And we should not try to impose journeys on each other. It's so easy, I'll be honest. It's so easy to be that preacher that comes and sits there berating the community and saying, Friends, we're sinners. This cannot continue. We must all return to the Lord. Look what's happening in the world. Blah, blah, blah. That whole speech is just wonderful. Reminds me of a story. I think I've shared it every year at this time of the year, but gosh, it's too funny. So the story goes about it's about 250 years ago, plus minus. A certain, in those days they were called a magid. A certain preacher comes to a town. And the custom was that when you heard that the guy was a preacher, you would offer them the opportunity to stand up in the shul during the week or on Shabbos and give their schmooze, to give their speech. Anyways, this guy was good at what he did, and he got up there and berated the community in style, told them what kind of evil, misguided people they are, and how they self-destructed, and they're worthless, and God doesn't love them anymore. God, he did the whole nine yards. Anyways, by the time he's over, all these simple folk who were just a bunch of innocent, sweet simpletons in a small little town were sobbing their eyes out, feeling totally sorry for themselves, whipping themselves on the back, and it was a very, very sad scene. And in this town lived a certain character. His name was Rip Shmuel Munkus, who legendary was a, was a, had a good sense of humor and had a lot of personality, and he couldn't stand it. He said, what are you coming? A bunch of sweet, good, innocent Jews are sitting here trying to do the right thing. What are you coming and sitting there telling them they're a bunch of evil monsters? It's, 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 first of all, it's false. It's disrespectful to them. It's disrespectful to God. The whole thing is just a shabby sight. So he finds out where this uh, lecturer, this preacher is staying over the hotel, knocks on the door, 
and the, the lecturer opens the, the door, and Rav Shmuel walks in. And Shmuel looks at the guy, and out of his back pocket, he pulls this huge knife, a chalif, a knife that you kill uh, animals, you know, a sheikhet uses. This huge, huge knife, sword. And he starts sharpening it. And this preacher is looking at this guy and he's trying to figure out what's going on. Like, why, why you, why did you come here? Do you want to know if the knife is halachically kosher to slaughter? And Shmuel says, no, 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 it's much more simple. You see, there's a custom in Jewish communities <laughs> that on the day before Rosh Hashanah, you go to the grave of a wise, a, a holy person and you pray that they should beseech on your behalf for a good year. It's a custom. It says it in the Shulchan Aruch. It says it in Jewish law. Now, we're a very simple town, as you know, and we don't have any sages. So I was thinking, after your wonderful speech today, and after your, you came across so righteous, I think it would be a good thing to arrange that we have a righteous person in this town, buried. <laughs> and this lecturer is finally getting the hint that uh, Rav Shmuel wants to kill him. And he starts saying, no, 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 please, please, please don't kill me. And he says, why not? I'm anyways a sinner. You told me I'm a, you, you told the whole town that we're a bunch of lowlifes and we're good for nothings. And, um, I might as well get a tzaddik buried in my town. And the guy starts sweating and he says, you know, I'm not such a tzaddik. So Shmuel says, really? Tell me, tell me about it. He says, eh, there was a few times I didn't daven, I didn't pray with a minion. And Rav Shmuel says, ah, oh, come on, man, that's a joke. You're still a tzaddik. So the guy starts confessing, starts confessing to some uh, more serious sins. And Rav Shmuel is like, eh, compared to us, you're still a, you're a saint. And finally, this individual, this preacher, confesses to some very harsh sin, and history did not tell us what the sin was, but it was a very hectic sin that was to- really low. Arab Shmuel looks at him and says, How dare you? How dare you come into a town when you yourself are so imperfect? You're as imperfect as we are, or maybe even more. Come into a town and make People cry and feel sorry for themselves and feel that God has left them and doesn't care about them. How dare you? Get out of town. I never want to see you again. And that story is, it's, it's a silly story, but it's a profound story. The idea that it's so easy to come there and sit there creating these objective standards and look at people and say, oh, they don't know as many tractates of Talmud as me. Their yarmulke is not as big as head as, as me, as mine. Their pay is on the, on the, their sideburns are not as long as mine. Eh, low lives. And then sit there screaming and saying, God will not be happy till everybody looks like me. Really? Really? Have you consulted God before you said that? Is it true? Are we living in a world of angels or a world of humans? Where each and every one of us has our own journey. Some of us try to... Tr- turn humans into robots, into angels. But that was never the plan. Hashemayim, Shemayim, Lashem, heaven is for God, and the earth was given to human beings. Us, each and every one of us, with our struggles, with our imperfections, living in the struggle, doing the best within our struggle, and succeeding in 
playing our part that God had destined for us, each and every one of us, regardless of how seemingly important or unimportant that role is in the eyes of our fellow human being. Our own journey, our subjective journey, is the only question we should be asking ourselves. How has my year been? Has it been a good one? Has it been a successful one or not? This is 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM. This is Rabbi Levi Avzan and we're in the middle of a conversation. It's good to be with you. You can always SMS on 34519 here to the 101.9 Chai FM radio station. This Shabbos is Rosh Chodesh. In four days' time, we're entering a new month, the month of Elul. One of the most discussed months of the year. That means you think about it, Pesach, people really discuss the holiday. Tishrei, in the month of Tishrei, we discuss Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. But as a theme of a month, Elul is probably the most discussed month of the year because the month doesn't have any days in it that are specifically unique. On the most part, it, it's just the month itself, whether it's the month that we refer to as the king is in the field, or another famous acronym, El stands for the words, Anile Dodive Dodili. I am to my beloved, and my beloved is to me. Did you hear that? Ani in the Hebrew is a singular word. I, not us. Not we are to our beloved, and our beloved is to us. But I am to my beloved, and my beloved to me. It's a very personal month. And Judaism is a very personal religion. Each and every one of us has our own unique personal relationship with Hashem. Often people will sit there saying, how do you relate to Hashem? And inevitably the answer is, First of all, we all struggle. Some of us, you know, we all have our better days and our worst days, but also we all have our own ways. Some of us will connect to Hashem in nature. Some of us will connect davening in a minion. Some of us will connect when we learn an incredible piece of Talmud. Some of us will connect when we do an act of chesed, of kindness. Some of us will connect when we travel overseas to a grave of a holy person. Whatever it is, each and every person in their own unique way connects to God in their own unique way. And why is that often so disrespected? It's it's often so disrespected, the idea that your child might have a different journey to God than you. Your child might have a different role. I know you wanted your kid to become a doctor. But they want to flip falafels for the rest of their life. And that's the way they feel that they play their part by feeding people, by creating a safe, healthy, nice restaurant in which people enjoy. And yes, you wanted a doctor, but that's not what the kid wants. And yes, you wanted your kid to resonate with this part of Torah, but they resonate with that part of Torah, that you resonate with this part of the religion, and they resonate with that part of the religion. You love Shabbos, and they love kindness. Do we respect that? Do we look around our fellow Jews, our fellow human beings, and create standards and boxes? 
Do we see people as boxes? Oh, which box do you belong to? Oh, okay, okay. Based on that box, this is how am I going to treat you? Or we see each and every one of our fellow human beings and our fellow Jews as worthy of love and non-judgmentalism and embrace and appreciation that they are on their own journey. And more importantly, do we see ourselves that way? Somebody sent me yesterday a little video on WhatsApp very interesting few minute lecture where the guy says something very profound. He says, treat yourself like someone you love. Treat yourself like someone you love. We're often very harsh on ourselves, but the people that we truly love, I'm not talking about the people that we just, you know, have acquaintance, but the person that you really love, you treat them well. You hopefully forgive them for the mistakes they make. You're kind to them. You allow them to have a bad day. You allow them sometimes to just be in an angry mood. You embrace them. You encourage them. You compliment them. When they sit there saying, oh, gosh, I'm feeling terrible. No, you're not. You're amazing. Don't worry. Do we talk to ourselves that way? Elul is not a time for self-flagellation. Boo-hoo, I'm such a, I'm such a loser. I'm such a nothing. I'm such a waste of a life. I'm undeserving. I'm a this, I'm a that. Maybe there was a time for that historically, but that's a debate for a different time. Today's day and age, none of us suffer from an abundance of self-esteem. None of us uh, suffer from an abundance of self-worth. We might have ego, but that's not self-esteem. That's a false imitation. So instead of berating ourselves, let's look, let's treat ourselves like someone we love and say, okay, we have to make an accounting. The year has been a year. We have made mistakes. But let's look at the positive and let's let's be kind to ourselves. Let's be understanding of ourselves. Doesn't mean making excuses, but it means understanding our humanity, just like hopefully you understand the humanity in the person you love, in your husband, in your wife, in your child, in your in your sibling, in your best friend. You you understand their humanity and you forgive them or rather allow them to be human. Do we allow ourselves that same forgiving, that same ability to sit there looking at ourselves with kind, warm eyes and saying, okay, it hasn't been the best year. It's been a good year in some areas. It hasn't been. What can I do to improve next year, even though next year is not going to be perfect unless Mashiach comes, please God. But how can I better myself a bit? What's my goal? How can I be kinder to myself? How can I feel the love of Hashem in, to me? How can I allow other people to feel my love and the love of God to them? How do I allow people to feel safe to grow in their own way? That is a health, in my opinion. That's the healthy way we could walk into this month and walk out a month later actually recharged, actually rejuvenated, renewed. What are your thoughts here on 101.9 Chai FM? You're listening to the Farbrengan with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM, and this is Rabbi Levi Atzin, and we're wrapping up the show. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Chai FM. It's been a privilege. And I just want to finish off with, again, Chodesh Tov, a wonderful month, a good month, a month of reflection. May we walk out of this coming month into Rosh Hashanah in just over four weeks. Let us walk into it with a sense of empowerment and inner serenity. It doesn't mean that we don't take accountability for the mistakes we made, but there's a tremendous sense of self-worth and reminding ourselves that Avinu Malkeinu, God's our father, and then he's our king. First and foremost, there's a, there's a relationship 
there's a, there's a there's a loving relationship, and that love between Hashem and us is a, a very personal one. It's there's the collective one. He loves us all as a people, but he loves us as individuals, and each and every one of us, based on who we are, regardless of how much we weigh, and how we look, and how we think, and our IQ, and right brain, left brain, who we married, whether we got married in the first place. Anything, our financial status, our religious status, our hafti, eschem, amar, Hashem, Hashem loves us. And if in the next month we can inculcate within us that inner sense of worth, there's no question in my mind that we can have the most productive and meaningful and impactful Rosh Hashanah we've ever had in our life. Because a person who changes from a place of self, of self-worth, is truly transformational. A person, think about it, when a person goes to therapy and they're in a good headspace, they'll be much more open to truly, really transform themselves. But when they're feeling sorry for themselves and they're beaten down, the success won't be as much. Let's look internal. Let's develop our sense of self. Let's develop our love for Hashem and remember how much He loves us. Let's realize that our journey is subjective, not objective. Forgive ourselves more, forgive the people around us more, create a healthy space, a place of love, and in love, everything grows. Have a wonderful day. This is Rabbi Levi Yatsen signing off, wishing you a great week, a Chodesh Tov, a great Shabbos, a great month, and a great year. Shana Tovam Tukah, here on 101.9 Chai